Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The Sports Cage Podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism. Our province's older people deserve to live independently and affordably in their own communities and homes. Learn more and join the movement at skseniorsmechanism.ca. Here's your host, Michael Ball. And wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. We know you got choices, so we appreciate that you have chosen us and more and more people appear to be doing that. So that is really good for my quest to continue to pay my bills. The show is brought to you by, as it was yesterday and once again today, spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and they'll match your first deposit of 25 to 250 Dollars. All our guests, and we always have a loaded show, brought to you by Western Pizza. The hotline is, that is. Uh, dinner time, game time, anytime. A great time to order Western Pizza. Ask your local Western Pizza locations about their special. And you can weigh in on the show by, uh, you can either call 936-6262. We have a little bit of open time right now. That's the uh, local number. Or one 767 Our phone lines in terms of texting brought to you by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac, Saskatchewan's number one dealership. And I'm joined here in the pilot seat by my buddy Pete Pasco, who uh, truthfully is in here to learn the ropes in case I might ever need a day off or, or get sick or something. Oh, you've changed your <laughs> soft now. <laughs> That's right. So Pete is here. You'll know him from his a long time uh, uh, time here in the newsroom at 620 CKRM and now most uh, recently Locker Talk on Access which is, what do we call it at the start me and you? Sports Zone. And that was way back when? 2000. 2001. Yeah, so it's 21 years. I know. Oh, oh! Trust me, I know. Look at you, and look at this guy in his fifties. He's got a full head of hair. Yeah. I got Zinger, the producer, over there with a full head of hair, looking like John Lennon again. Ooh. And I'm over here losing hair left and right. It's crazy. Uh, we I'm gotta... sure it'll all grow back with this new job. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah there yeah. won't be any complaints or anything. No, uh, don't not like you it worry. Has, not like it hasn't already started. Uh, the show is full once again. We're going to hear from Cody Mates, the GM and coach of the Weyburn Red Wings. Uh, just before 4.30, he tees up the SJHL championship between the Flin Flon Bombers and the Estevan Bruins. Tell you what, Pete, mm. that like Flin Flon's going to be there for a month and a bit. Uh, for the most, they're going to spend a lot of time because, wow. well, the Bruins get the host, so they're in it already. Oh, right. So Flynn Flon automatically gets in, and think about the mileage there. Flynn Flon to Estevan. Wow. And they're not flying, trust me. Yeah, no kidding, eh? That's really, I don't know if you how much SJHL hockey you've ever watched live, mm-hmm. but I used to call the games in Estevan. That is oh, a, I remember that. Yeah, that's a really underrated league. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a high quality uh, of hockey. Yeah. A lot of those guys go on to uh, you know U.S. universities yes. yeah. and uh, it's certainly worth watching if you get the opportunity. In his first 
Well, in his 15 years as coach of the Flin Flon Bombers, and I might add, you're not exactly attracting kids to Florida. You're attracting them to Flin Flon. You're not right selling the, the lifestyle. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but like he said, Mike Reagan, the coach, he's been there for 15 years. Kids mm-hmm. don't really, as long as you get them there and show them you got a stable program, doesn't matter whether they're from Alaska or Quebec, but mm-hmm. he, is, he has got players over 15 years, like 60 to 65 scholarships at the uh, universities. Wow, that's not bad. That's not too that's bad. That's not bad. That's not too And of Plus, course, I'm the, sure you can point to the alumni and go, that's Bobby Clark. You may yeah, have heard of Reggie him. Reggie Leach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Then you look at the other end of things, and the Weyburn, or sorry, the uh, Estevan Bruins are a hockey team mm-hmm. that plays in the Taj Mahal of rinks in the league. And mm-hmm. it's a transient town, I know from living there, but when the playoffs come, no team is supported like the uh, Estevan Bruins. That's going to be a great series. That's going to be awesome, I, I think. I hope. Yeah, no kidding. And then you got Moose Jaw and Saskatoon in the Western Hockey League. We'll tee that up mm. tomorrow, but that's going to be a great one. That's a, that's a pick'em series in the uh, WHL. It's not considered one of the quote-unquote big rivalries in the Western no. Hockey League, but just wait until they drop the puck. Yeah, it but I mean, you got four versus five or whatever it is. Like, they are yep. tight there. They've got the great goaltender in Meyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moose Jaw's got a lot of prospects. I, I hope the Moose Jaw fans... Uh, I haven't been to a playoff game there. I know they've struggled uh, recently till this year. Uh, they are a team that uh, when they get going, they always had great fan uh, support. So hopefully they can fill that nice rink. I really like that rink. I've been to a few games yeah. there, and it's it's just it's perfect for the size of that city. And uh, they fill it, and yeah. it's it sounds a lot louder than maybe four thousand people or yeah. five would. Yeah. How do you uh, how do you feel about the Pat season this year? Oh, um. Yeah, that was, that was not ideal. No. Oh, I guess they're still going. They've but, got uh, some, they've got some they've got some uh, bu- they've got some building blocks there, right? Like they've got uh, Connor Bedard. Obviously, I mean he's he's yep. only going to be here for one year or maybe less. Uh, you've got, uh, of course, a Tanner Howe, mm-hmm. and I thought that Kelton Pine played pretty well in net. I yes, mean, he did. I mean, there's still uh, the jury's still out on him, but they've got mm-hmm. a really. Uh, They've got a decent mix there, but uh, they got to put it together a little more next year for sure. If they can get Bedard's buddy from BC, uh, Matthew Wood, to come, because, yeah. I mean, he, he's a draft pick, but yeah. he's looking at the U.S. college route. If he can get him, they'll be pretty dynamic up front. Yeah, I like Tanner How He's a great story. He was a late pick, started on the fourth line, worked his way up. And what can you say about Logan Nyhoff, the captain of the Pats? No kidding. That's a, that's a heart and soul guy. That's the guy you want wearing the C anytime. And uh, I, I thought back to some of the previous captains, because I know a couple people, probably younger, people said oh he's the best captain the pats have ever had not necessarily but he's got to be in the conversation because uh yeah he fits the mold well i've said it many times he's not the and and paddock agreed with me yesterday he's not the most talented captain they've ever had but you'd be hard pressed to find a better captain on and off the ice like Mm -hmm. with the blood drive and everything and he comes he doesn't come from the hockey hotbed of comox bc right like he comes out here comes all the way to regina joins them what 2017 when they were starting their nice run uh through the hosting uh, or like uh on that nice improbable run where they got uh, to the whl final then of course the memorial cup and then uh carried over that leadership through the uh bubble and the interesting season they had there i learned from some good guys like Steele and uh brooks and such and uh he's carried that on yeah so whoever wears a c next year connor bedard will uh will be hard pressed yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, the schedule is out for the University of Regina Rams and the U of S Huskies, and I know you're a big local sports guy, so let's talk a little bit about this. Rams kick off with an exhibition game against Alberta 
in Medicine Hat, August the uh, 25th. They mm-hmm. open their regular season in Manitoba, September the 2nd, Labor Day weekend, and a home opener September 9th against the Young Calgary team. So that's an that's a kind of an interesting one to uh, punch. You never know what to mm-hmm. get from Manitoba, especially yep. early in the year. Well, that's true. I mean, that that's a... Brian Doby's done a great job with that program. I mean, you win a Van A Cup, you're obviously doing something right. But yeah, you never know if they're going to be any good or not. And I wonder if Doby's in the same boat. Yeah. I wonder if he wonders until they, uh, you know, kick off the first game. What yeah. have I got here? Yeah, exactly. Hey, the Rams will host uh, Saskatchewan September 17th. That's a great provincial rivalry. Huskies are the Hardy Cup and UTEC Bowl champs and Vanier Cup finalists. Saskatchewan is stacked. They've got Mason Nias, obviously, mm-hmm. top quarterback. Josh Donnelly, now a veteran quarterback with the Rams. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be just a good battle in itself. The plot lines, Nias against Donnelly. Good local quarterbacking talent. Two Regina kids. Yes. Like, talk about talk about what's in the water for Regina quarterbacks. Products of the Regina High School League. Yeah. Uh, they got some players, and, yeah. and they got some other ones coming up, too, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, those two kids are great. I hope they get a shot at the next level. Don't know. Yeah. The CFL is going to have to maybe change its thinking a little bit around Canadian quarterbacks, but mind you, Nathan Rourke might change that for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, before we get to that topic, what do you... What are you seeing for young quarterbacks coming up through the pipeline in Regina right now? Young guy that I was going to say I worked with, but that makes it sound like I was his position coach. <laughs> young guy that I've been blessed to be around, uh, Tayan Lloyd, is the quarterback for uh, Winston Knoll. Yeah. He was uh, drafted third overall in the uh, Spring League draft, which is interesting because the two guys that went ahead of him are two studs on the offensive line. Okay. And so uh, Tayan's. If he's not going to be the top quarterback, grade 12 in the city this year, he'll be uh, right there. He's a, he's a good one. I call him Tim Tebow with an accurate arm. He's a, okay. self, he's a southpaw, <laughs> and he can run for 100 and throw for three touchdowns. Yeah. Oh, that's nice awesome. skill set. And comes from a good uh, good home in terms of football home with the Tyler Lloyd being his dad, and his yep. brother's now playing at the UT with yes, Greg Marshall. Not not Greg Marshall, the, the Hamilton coach. Greg mm-hmm. Marshall, the old rider coach. Just think about that. There's two head coaches named Greg Marshall in Ontario University. That's right. That's weird. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's nuts. That is unbelievable. The, the one at Western's had a bit of success. Yeah, for sure. But you look at the Regina quarterbacks. You've had Mackey over the years. Yeah. Noah Picton, mm-hmm. Mason Nias, mm-hmm. Josh Donnelly. Uh, you know, I say Sawyer Bittner because he's like right in the moose gyre. You're like just from the area. Yep. It's Asher crazy. Hastings. Yeah, Asher Hastings. Yeah, it's it's Jordan Yance, right? Yep. Crazy. Yeah, Cra- no. crazy. I think they're getting some great coaching uh, from their quarterback coaches and their uh, and their offensive coordinators in the league. And uh, we don't talk about enough about uh, how good the uh, coaching is at the grassroots level. Yeah, and you've uh, you've absolutely been a well. I'm uh, an exception well, to that. No, rule, no, but... you're a top tier uh, high school coach for people that don't know. So, how long have you been coaching high school for? Uh, what's it been? Six years now. Yeah, okay, six. and then but yep. before that, you were with your son Jake all the way through minor football, right? Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, when when Jake got old enough to play at the very lowest level of RMF, I said, "Well, I'm gonna probably be there every night anyway." So yeah, I'll help out coaching some veteran coach uh, as an assistant. And they said, "Congrats, you're the head coach." And I went, oh, well, I guess I better go to some clinics or something. Yeah. So why do you keep doing it? Because your son's long gone. He he played a little bit, but then he went, and now he's uh, going for a lawyer in Saskatoon, very successful. Why do you keep coaching? Um, I really enjoy it. I, well, obviously. It's just but as simple what, as that. But what do you like about it? It's very satisfying to work with uh, guys that maybe aren't star players when they come uh, come into you, uh, your team. And uh, 
you just work with them, make them uh, competent, and then maybe some of them go on to play at a higher level. But And the relationships are great, too. Mm. I like that very much. Uh, playing yeah. a role. Uh, I've kept in touch with a bunch of kids that have gone on to bigger and better, and not many of them in football, unfortunately. Maybe that's on me. Uh, but uh, yeah. but they're doing very well in life, and, and I'm proud of that. You know, um, Pete, you're a guy going through some health issues yourself. Unfortunately, it's going good. You're battling hard. You lost a player who took his own life uh, at Winston Knoll. Sure did. Uh, how hard was that for you? And I know we we teamed together with boxing and with Frank Fiaco to try mm -hmm. to uh, raise money, and, yep. and we got a foundation going here. But how have you? Like you know, I don't know if you ever recovered from something like that. But that that was that must have been a tough one. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I still think about it a lot today. I still think yeah. about what could I have done, or yeah. what did I miss, what yeah. didn't I see, yeah, young man. Man's name was Dayton Varga. His yeah. parents are, are very open about uh, discussing the yeah, name. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. And uh, when I was coaching this this past fall, uh, he was a running back, and he would have been exceptional. Like he would have been a next level kid for sure. Yeah. I, I kept looking around the practice field, going, "Geez, man, Dayton should be here. Dayton yeah. should be here." It it sticks with you a long time. Yeah. So I'd sure like to prevent anybody else from having to go through. Yeah, that. for sure. So and Pete, how has coaching changed? Like, how has coaching changed in your mentality and how you coach? Like you are never too high and you're never too low because mm -hmm. I've coached with you and I've worked with you and we're friends. But, like, I know a lot of coaches' verbiage has had to change over. Like, you used to oh. say, go run sprints, yeah. you little such and such, and the guy would do it and he wouldn't question. Now mm -hmm. today's athlete asks you why they're doing it. Yes. And you don't, you, you got to watch how you talk to him. It's no longer, kill him, smoke him. You got to watch how you talk. Yep. Uh, anyone that I had as a coach growing up would not be able, would not be allowed to coach today. That's <laughs> yeah, the simple fact, right? The vocabulary, the way you run a practice, the way you, you know, run very violent drills to sort yeah. of, to toughen the boys up, that sort of thing. You can't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah. And, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And uh, the you mentioned why. Yeah. A lot of kids ask why. And, and that's great because that makes you a better coach because you better know why. Yeah. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Yeah, 100%. That's great. There's accountability from player to coach, coach to player. Mm -hmm. Lastly, as we talk about those athletes, how, how much has the athlete improved from when you first started coaching six years ago to even now? Oh, wow. It's uh, it's it's crazy how much they have improved and will continue to improve just with the level of coaching, the level of training opportunities that are out there. I mean, we've got football specific training places here in the city. Mm -hmm. Didn't have that 10, 15 years ago. It's it's only going to get better and better. And I know a lot of people say, well, how is Regina putting out so many great players? And how is Saskatchewan putting out so many great players? We shouldn't be winning the U18 Canada Cup, but we do. Because yeah. our kids are well-trained, focused, Someone might say, well, there's nothing else to do. Yeah, there's plenty else to do. And uh, the level of talent and the work ethic is just getting better and better. Tell you what, it's because of guys like this, Pete Pasco, helping to develop the next uh, level athletes. When we come back, we'll talk next level hockey athletes. It's the SJHL final. It's the Flynn Flon Bombers and the Estevan Bruins. We catch up with our SJHL expert, the coach and GM of the Weyburn Red Wings. That's Cody Mapes. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. As he does every Thursday, Coach Craig Dickinson will join us after 5 o'clock, so we'll talk to him just before 
five, we're going to talk about the Texas Rangers and clutch performance. You don't often mention that team and that phrase in the same sentence, but they certainly did it last night. By the way, the Blue Jays won today 3-2 over the Boston Red Sox, so good for them as they uh, win the rubber match with the Bosox and do it with pitching. We'll talk to Arash Madani live from Fenway Park in Boston just after 6 o'clock. So as you can hear, we got a great show lined up. I'm Ballsy along with Pete Pasco from Locker Talk on Access. Let's talk some local sports now as this show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. We're going to head out in the Western Pizza Hotline and say hi to our friend Cody Mapes of the Weyburn Red Wings. How are you today, Mapesy? Good, Baldy. How you doing? Good. Pete's here, too. I know you guys have talked on uh, Locker Talk, so we're all friends inside the cage here. Um, what's, your dad's name was Mapesy, Cliff Mapes. Is that, do we call you Mapesy, too, or do you have your own nickname? I don't know. I think I, I think it suits me better, but uh, I guess that uh, might not be his opinion. I don't know. Yeah. See, my my son gets ballsy junior, but he's anything but junior. Like he's <laughs> six two, so it's like you get what well, you're calling him ballsy junior. Should call me ballsy junior. And I can't I can't believe my kid. Well, I can believe it. You are my kid's hockey coach. That's why he's playing football, oh, mates. Wow. Uh, I know you already used that joke once. You already <laughs> reminded me. Uh, I steered him away from the game. I know that's good. You were a great. Coach. I called Ethan uh, Ballsy Junior once. I, I'm not claiming I was the first guy, but I called him that in a handshake line after a game once, and he looked at me like, "So that's my thing, huh?" <laughs> yeah, great. It's kind of why I got him out of town. To be quite honest with you, so he didn't have to put up with that. Hey, so uh, so uh, Cody almost called you Cliff. Uh, when we're looking at this gate, this series. Uh, Flynn Flon and Estevan. Is there one intriguing thing you're kind of looking at that's uh, that's maybe kind of under the radar? Uh, under the radar, maybe no. But the the goaltending is going to be a huge a huge factor. Obviously, like when a guy like Cal Shell runs nine sixty, uh, it's a pretty pretty good time of the year to get hot like that. Um, you know, Bolois and in uh, Estevan is you know had some injury problems and stuff like that. Looks like he's kind of found his game too. I mean, there you can see another real low low scoring uh, a series here if those two guys go off like that again. Um, you know, under the radar, I think uh, Flynn Flan's depth is, I think, a little underrated. Uh, obviously, everybody knows about, about Esteban, but you look at a guy like Gabriel Shipper in, uh, in Flynn Flan, a 20-year-old that, you know, might have been their, their eighth 20-year-old at, at Christmas time, but uh, he's, I think he's got five or six goals now in, in the playoffs, and he's really been a difference maker for those guys. So, Cody, we, we, we have a pretty good idea of how Estevan got to this point. I mean, you're hosting the big dance. You better have a team that's worthy to be in it. But maybe uh, tell us how Flinflon got this good and, and got to this point. Well, going back to this, like when, when their goaltending started uh, – you know, performing the way that they expected it to. I think, uh, you know, they've always been real high on, on Shell, and he he was good throughout the year, uh, kind of stumbled a little bit towards the end of the year and then the first couple of games of the playoffs. But as as he went, you know, that's how the Bombers went. And, and you know, he's uh, he's done well for them. Um, you know, I think those the Bombers' back end it really runs their power play. You know, that's that's pretty important for them, like it is every team. But, uh, you know, the defensemen that, that they have back there, make it real hard for for other teams five on five or, or in any any situation at all to have much success but um you know you they just don't give up much it's tough to get to the middle on them and uh and so i mean those the big defensemen of, of flinflon are uh are probably the key to you know to a lot of their success okay so let's go through the different areas so goaltending you give the edge to like do you give it to flinflon is it a soft <laughs> 
Well, right now, right now, I and no no disrespect to Belos and uh, and Estevan, but Cal Shell just ran nine sixty in the in the semifinal. So I mean, I don't know how you don't give it to uh, to Flint Flint. Yeah, but do you think he's going to run that? Can he keep that up? That's the question. Well, it's uh, uh, nine sixty. No, but if he can, if he can run nine thirty five for mm. for five or six games, I mean, he's going to give his team every chance to win. I mean, I uh, I still think that it's uh, it's probably Flynn Flon by uh, by a fingernail. Okay, so defense. I think you just kind of intimated there. They've got the edge there too. Do you think? Yes, I do. I think that. Uh, Flynn Flon's best defenseman. He's the best guy in the league. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they, they, they're they pretty deep back there as well. They've got a couple, you know, WHL guys. They've got a Division One commit. They've got a couple guys that are pretty undervalued. Uh, but, yeah, no, for sure, they, they've got six guys back there that can play. Uh, you know, you like Estevan's, you know, Nolan Jones and Deeks and those guys. But uh, I think the, the four, five, six guys, Estevan, or uh, pardon me, Flynn Flon has has an edge there. Would you go? Would you go forwards, uh, Estevan? I mean, they got Hulk, they got Pierce, they got some good uh, Moxie up front there. Oh yeah, no, it's you know, Estevan is going to come after you with four lines. Uh, their their top guys are as good as they come in, in junior A, and uh, they're going to be a lot to handle. Um, those defensemen and Flinflon are, are going to have to do a good job keeping guys to the outside. But if if the you know if Flynn Flon turns pucks over at the blue line in the neutral zone, Estevan is deadly on the rush. Uh, they're real good at uh, you know creating opportunities off the rush, changing lanes, a little bit of misdirection, that kind of stuff. It's it's a lot to handle. And uh, if Flynn Flon takes care of the neutral zone, takes care of the blue lines, they'll be okay. But if they start giving up uh, odd man rushes on turnovers, it's it might be uh, a couple long nights for those guys. This might be a little bit. Awkward for you to uh, to answer, considering uh, you know the coaching fraternity. Everybody knows everybody, but the X factor, who's got the edge in terms of behind the bench? Well, you know what? Like I, I honestly haven't been around long enough to uh, to know that. Like, obviously, both those guys have done a real good job this year, um, but I, I don't really know Jason's history a whole bunch in, in Estevan, and um, you know Mike. I know. I guess I know Mike's history that. Uh, you know he's done a good job. That team always seems to be in contention. So I mean, they, uh, I can't give you one one way or the other, but uh, they've obviously both done a real good job. Um, I will say, well, while we're on the air here, uh, congrats to Braden in Battleford on his uh, you know Coach of the Year. That's, that's I think it's the second in the last three years. He's he's the real deal up there, and uh, he's one of the best guys around. So all right, uh, okay. So intangibles. We always got intangibles, which would be the crowd, which would be the rink, which would be everything uh i've heard flin flon's a little tough on road teams it, it certainly is like i would think right here if you're estevan cody you gotta hold serve you have to hold serve yeah oh yeah i think you gotta you gotta make sure you take care of home ice advantage um estevan's not an easy place to play no matter what kind of team they have there uh you know the first 10 or 15 minutes of those games is so important for for both teams in that rink because you know it, Estevan can uh, it can snowball on you in a hurry. They can be up two or three nothing in that first period, and, uh, and then it's a it's a real battle to get back into it. But um, you know, obviously, going to the forum is, is not easy, and you know, even that that road trip. Now we're talking about a nine hour trip. Yeah, they're going to do it the day before, but it's uh, you know it's going to be a lot to overcome the the crowd and stuff like that. Uh, but even just the trips, the trips itself, you know, not being in your bed the night before a game, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think, I think the edge there, honestly, I think, 
I think Estevan's going to have the edge. It's, the Forum is a tough place to play, but Estevan's going to fill that rink. There's going to be 2,500 people in there. The uh, yeah, it gets loud in the Forum and stuff, but I think uh, I think Estevan is uh, a little a little better suited for it. They're they're a real old team, and uh, I think they're going to be ready for for the Forum. Does the SJHL banner mean that much? Like both of these teams will be playing in the Centennial Cup. They'll both be there for the national championship. Does the banner mean that much? Well, to, yeah, I would say yes. I mean, it's uh, you know one or one of those teams could go home with nothing. Like they, you know, if you if you don't win this series and you don't win anything at the yeah. Centennial Cup, I mean, here's your participation award and go home. Uh, I think that it's uh, I, I think it means a lot. You know, you when you get to those tournaments and stuff, you're you obviously you want to win and stuff, but you're kind of playing with house money. You got your you got your SJHL championship in, in a normal year. You would have an Anavet as well. Like that kind of stuff is uh, is great. But to to be able to get out of your league and battle through those you know the two months of playoffs and stuff like that means uh, means a lot. And it, it's it's a lot harder to do at times than you know sometimes get hot for ten days and, and win a tournament. It's, yeah, the teams are always all, all of a sudden you know the, the best teams in the in the country there, but um, that SJHL banner definitely means means a lot to both these guys, I'm sure. Okay, the million dollar question and Ballsy's funding it. You know, new gig, you yeah. can probably afford that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who's who's winning and in how many games? Uh, Esteban at five. Yeah, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. You just picked goalie and defense for Flynn Flon. You mm-hmm. said yep. forwards run away for Esteban, a soft and coaching, and it's kind of whatever for and it's a five game series? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think that uh I think that Esteban's forwards are just gonna be too much. It's uh you know, you, you saw it in a couple games with Yorkton where Estevan kind of let them hang around a little bit, and then it was they needed one break, and then all of a sudden there was there was three in the back of the net. And I think that uh, I think they're just too potent up front, and I don't think the difference in net is big enough for for Flynn Flon to make it a long series. Awesome, man! Thanks for your time. Lunch on me. Lunch on me when this series is over. We'll hang out. Maybe as I go, I'm going to go down for the Centennial Cup, so maybe I'll stop by and we'll uh, hang out a bit. Hey, thanks for having me. Congrats on the new job, buddy. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Cody Mapes, coach, GM of the Weyburn Red Wings, our SJHL expert. When we come back, we go in the trenches with Eddie Steele, former rider and Edmonton football player and Manitoba Bison, too. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. Ah, yes, we're not that far away from training camp. Hard to believe and can't wait. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders will be in Saskatoon for the next three years in terms of uh, training camp, getting set, of course, to be the host city of the 2022 Grey Cup. I'm Michael Ball, along with my friend Pete Pasco, riding shotgun, our great producer, Sean Kleisinger. The show is brought to you by spreads.ca. You can sign up using the code CKRM and you'll receive free $25 sports bet from our friends at spreads.ca. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western Pizza. Ask your local Western Pizza location about their specials. Do you have a favorite pizza combo you like, like in terms of... You know, it kind of varies. Uh, this this is probably too much information for some folks, but uh, my taste buds have changed since I went through the uh, the health challenges a couple of years ago, so stuff I used to love, I'm, I look at and go, yeah, I don't know. Uh, really? Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and and pizza is one of the things. I, it's not that I don't eat pizza, but the ones that maybe I used to love, like I can eat mushrooms now. I used to hate mushrooms. It's all because of, it's all because of like chemo and stuff, or yeah, yeah I think so. Wow. Whatever. It, as long as I'm still here and still able yeah. to eat, I don't care. Yeah, you can but, still eat. You're alive. You can eat. But it's crazy. Yeah, mushrooms. I used to hate. Uh, by the way, Western pizza, great sauce. And I, you know what? I'm not, I never used to be a crust guy. I love their crust. The Western pizza crust. It's unbelievable. Okay, let's head out on the Western pizza hotline and talk to a man that's probably put a few pizzas in his mouth. <laughs> Big Eddie Steele. Would I be right when I say that, Eddie? And I don't mean any disrespect. Good afternoon, fellas. And there's been plenty of pies <laughs> that have been down by me. Uh, probably too many hundreds of pounds to count over the years. Yeah. Hey, we talk about uh, we're talking about U Sports at the start here. Pete and I kicked the show off, and uh, we were talking about the Rams opening up in Manitoba on September second. You played for the Bisons. It's a weird team. Like the Bisons sometimes are their own worst enemy, especially early in the season. We always say out here, you never know what to expect from Manitoba. By the end of the year, they're kicking butt, but early, they don't, or they seem out of off kilter. Am I right when I say that? Is that the right perception? Yeah, yeah you are right, and I mean not consistently, but there is kind of that that kind of persona about the Bisons. You know, sometimes they're slow starters out of the gates. Uh, part of that, and as you were saying the question here to me, uh, part of that uh, you had me thinking, and uh, I think maybe a big reason is because Coach Brian Doby, great recruiter, and he touches all parts of Western Canada and Canada in its entirety. He recruits guys from all over the place. So maybe part of that is, you know, guys gelling with each other, getting to know each other, take a little bit of time to get on the same page. So hey, I don't really know why that is, but that could be a reason. I personally didn't deal with it a whole bunch. You know, I had a couple undefeated seasons at U of M, but we'll leave it at that. I know I'm talking in Ram country yeah, wait, right now. Way to brag. Yeah, why don't you brag some more, Steele? Why don't you brag some more? <laughs> uh, they were they were pretty good back then. Uh, one more uh, Can West question for you, for me anyway. Um, is this the year Calgary falls back to the pack? I mean, last year they weren't as dominant. We saw what the U of S could do. And I'm assuming they're going to lose both Philpott brothers in the draft. So is Calgary going to be a factor? Yeah, I think Calgary, they'll be more of a middle-of-the-pack team. There's going to be a lot of turnover, actually. There was so much good talent in Can West this year, and there's a lot of guys going in the draft. I mean, Calgary, they're losing a couple of guys for sure in the CFL draft. So, or sorry, Saskatchewan, U of S, my mistake. And, um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Philpott brothers. They're, they're good as gone as well. Uh, I watched a couple of U of A games this year. I believe their quarterback's gone. Uh, and Mac Art, and they have someone uh, coming up in the ranks. But, yeah, there, there's a lot of good talent in Can West this year, and they're losing a lot. But I think Calgary, they'll probably be more of the middle of the pack team. I, I, have, to sni- I have to snicker because um, some media types say, well, there's and, – and CFL personnel, oh, this is one of the worst drafts. Like, there's not – it's a really weak draft this year. Huh. But we forget that, yes, the CFL took – time off but so did you sports in fact they were hampered even worse they had more restrictions longer layoff and when they came back they only played six games i mean eddie what do people want that quit diminishing our canadian talent yeah i'm with you on that and i look at it from this perspective who are you to say what a draft class is if it's strong or weak you don't know anything it's just all projection you don't know what these kids are going to accomplish my draft year 
I was projected to go in the first round, and I fell to the third round. And actually, Edmonton, it was Ed Hervey at the time. He was the player personnel guy. He called me up on Thursday afternoon. The draft was happening on Sunday. He said, if I was there at pick number eight, they're going to pick me no matter what. Pick number eight came on Sunday, draft day, and they picked a defensive back, uh, Salim Borhat. So they picked him ahead of me, and I fell to Hamilton in the third round. Well, Salim Borhat, you know, he was a highly ranked prospect, and there was some, some hype around him. Uh, he lasted one season in the CFL. So you never know what a guy is going to accomplish. So when you sit here and say it's going to be a strong draft or a weak draft, you have no idea what stars and what gems are going to come from a draft class. You look at a, a draft five, six years ago, and how many guys are still producing, playing at a top, high level, you know? So hmm. yeah, that's something I don't buy too much, a strong draft class, because you have no idea what a kid is capable of once they get to the pros. Do you feel teams put a lot of stock into the combine? Because I look at the Philpots, they're, they're, they're 40s, they're verticals, pedestrian at best. They were okay. They showed some flashes in the one-on-ones, but they were just, meh. It was almost like... I felt like they almost took it for granted that they were going to get drafted high, so it was like, eh, whatever, just go through the motions. But do teams just go, you know what, let's go look at the film, whatever, and go back to what they were thinking before that? You know, part of it is you want to see the numbers because you just want to see how, how good of a, a talent they are as a raw athlete. And, of course, film, we're out here, we're playing football, we're not playing weights, and that that's a, a quote that a veteran told me when I first got to my first training camp in Hamilton. He said, Steele, you don't play weights, you play football. Because I was a big weights guy, and I was, you know, I was a gym rat, and mm-hmm. that really woke me up to, you, you need to change kind of your approach, and you got to approach things more from an athletic type of a mentality, because I, I need to be an athlete out there and to move and have quick feet and things of that nature. So, when it comes to these kids, or these young men, I should say, coming up at the Combine, such as the Philpott brothers. Yeah, I don't know if they were just going through the motions. I, sometimes people just don't test great, you know, and you, someone who doesn't test great, but you turn on the film and they're out there catching footballs over two defensive backs left and right and going up for, I think one of them had double-digit touchdowns. So that speaks, for its, uh, speaks enough for itself in terms of the production. But the numbers tell you the commitment in the gym and the commitment and the discipline to do the right things on and off the field. So you want to see that, and you want to see the good tape as well. But hey, if you ever get a 225-pound guy laying on top of you while you're on the turf, you, you'd be able to bench him off you at least 20 times. So that's that's important, I guess. Uh, one guy that doesn't maybe test particularly well, but he certainly passes the eyeball test, is the guy that just won the John Cornish uh, Trophy. Mechie out of Alabama. Mechie the third, I should say. He's rated as a top-ranked prospect for the CFL draft, but is there any chance we'll see him up here? No, no, we won't see him up here. Uh, I, uh, unless something drastic happens, I don't think that uh, he'll be seeing Mechie play in the CFL anytime in the next decade. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a pretty good bet. Hey, uh, the uh, CFLPA's kind of taken a social media to uh, talk about getting a fair deal. And I don't actually think that's a bad strategy because Rob Manford admitted that the baseball players individually like Trout and some of those guys that took to social media to kind of drum up their message, that was a big determining factor in ending the lockout. Now, I'm not suggesting there's going to be that in the CFL because the CFLPA doesn't really have 
the legs of millionaire baseball players. But I do like that strategy of them getting out. I think that's a good thing. Social media working to the good for the players. How do you feel about that? Well, it's a gathering of the masses, right? And that's we've seen that with social media over and over for the good and the bad. So whenever you take to social media and you get the uh, the social media atmosphere and uh, the hype machine that it is, and you get people on your side and you build that traction, uh, we've seen thing, things that people are able and businesses and corporations are able to accomplish um, due to social media. So not the worst strategy, that's for sure. Do you feel, you've been obviously in locker rooms, do players, do players feel like they're getting ripped off? Like I hear about fair, we just want a fair deal. To me, from the outside, Pete and I have never been in a locker room. We're in the media. We we see a lot of losses for some of these teams. Like the Riders make money, Winnipeg makes money, Edmonton makes money on good years. But other than that, uh, those other teams are losing money. So what is a fair deal? And do players feel like they're not getting the straight goods? Well, that's that's a really good one because you're right. You got to look at it as an entire business from the overall viewpoint of. Yeah, the CFL is not, you know, swimming in money. I think everybody knows that. So for players to go out there and think that, yeah, we are underpaid, speaking we because I was there, we were underpaid for sure. But you have to look at what the clubs are bringing in, as you said, how many clubs are taking losses. And it's not like money is just being lined in these owners or these teams' pockets. So you have to understand what it is. I have that viewpoint now because I'm out of it. I'm older, a little more mature. When I was playing, uh, yeah, didn't always feel like I was getting ripped off from the teams. And ultimately, you got to earn your money too. And not oftentimes do you see guys ball out and not uh, get paid, um, you know, uh, sufficiently for that. So, you know, the tape, like going back to the combine, the tape speaks for itself. And when guys are balling out, you, well, you're earning your money, and you got to earn your money. Not oftentimes we've seen a perennial thousand-yard receiver uh, drastically underpaid and complaining, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And it's all it's all relative. You have to look at it from the big viewpoint because it's all relative uh, as to what the business is. I gotta ask you about a team you're pretty familiar with in the CFL, uh, the one in Edmonton, the Elks. Um, I guess maybe a bit of a two-part question. What do you think about the new management? And, and it feels like they're a breath of fresh air in terms of reinvigorating that franchise. And just because they just added a, a kid from Regina who played uh, in the NCAA, Mike Beaudry, uh, to their quarterback room uh, heading into camp, that's, I believe, seven quarterbacks. Chris Jones isn't going to go to camp with seven quarterbacks, is he? <laughs> well, rookie camp. Keep in mind, rookie camp. See how many of them survived rookie camp. But no, there'll probably be five quarterbacks at main camp, I would imagine, for sure, getting reps. But yeah, no, overall with the Elks, I think their president, Victor Quee, come in. I've mentioned it many times, you know. Hats off to him. He's done a fantastic job. Just in, as you said, the breath of fresh air, bringing that energy, bringing a new vision, a new purpose for the club, the way he's connecting and engaging on social media. We touched on how important social media could be, and he's doing it the right way. And he, he's proven. He's done this before, so this is nothing new for him. But it, it's new for the CFL. It's new for us uh, as fans and as alumni 
especially from what we saw the past few years out of the organization. So it's awesome. They're doing a fantastic job, lots of great promos, lots of um, season ticket sales and uh, engagement with season seat holders, which in my opinion is the utmost important thing for organizations to do in the CFL. And that was something that the Elks were really uh, lacking on the past few years was that engagement and interaction with season seat holders because ultimately those are the people that are really um, buttering the bread of so many people in the within the organization and they need to be treated uh, with the utmost respect and you got to go out of your way to look after them. In about uh, 45 seconds or less, i got to get this comment from you. This is a big injury for the BC Lions. Uh, Steven Richardson, the D-tackle who came over from Winnipeg, significant injury working out. That's a huge uh, blow to the uh, BC Lions. Yeah, that's a drastic one. You know, I, I feel for him. They said hopefully he can come back late in the season. But, yeah, he was looking to have a breakout season because he was balling in a backup-type role with Winnipeg. So he had an opportunity, but we'll see how he bounces back. It looks like his physique, he puts the work in, so I'm sure he'll bounce back and come back strong. Well, they call him the stove, so maybe they change a couple of elements and he's right back there at the end of the year. <laughs> hey, thanks for this, Eddie. I appreciate it. Thanks, fellas. You guys have a great afternoon. That is In the Trenches with Eddie Steele. When we come back, we'll have a sports ticker, and Pete and I will kick around some of the stories of the day. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. It's 451 with the Sports Cage sports ticker. It's for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right, 781-2090. Got NBA playoffs Thursday night. Memphis Grizzlies at Minnesota Timberwolves in Game 3. Series tied at 1. The Dallas Mavericks are in Utah to take on the Jazz in Game 3. That series is also tied at 1. And it looks like Mavericks star Luka Doncic will be a game-time decision on that one. But I don't think he's going to play. And uh, the red-hot Golden State Warriors look to go up 3-0 on the Nuggets as the series shifts to Denver for Game 3 tonight. And the CFL announced a few schedule changes today. Touchdown Atlantic and Nova Scotia between the Riders and Argonauts on July 16th will now kick off at 12 noon Saskatchewan time. And the Riders at Elks on August 14th will now kick off at 8 p.m. And one last note, the Rough Riders have signed American wide receiver Tevin Jones. He joined the Rough Riders after uh, five years in the NFL, most recently spending time with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jones first signed with the Riders in 2021 and has uh, recommitted to the club after he was unable to attend training camp last season, Ballsy. Yeah, so uh, thanks, Zinger. Yeah, so that's interesting. So the Rider game, the pregame show will start at 9 a.m. that day here on uh, July 16th. Riders Argos out uh, way east, uh, touchdown Atlantic. And the game in Edmonton in August now changed from the 14th to the 13th with kickoff happening at 8 our time. So that's important because people plan their summers, their weddings, everything around Rider games, Pete. Of course they do. I made the mistake of getting married the day of a Rider home game. Really? While I was still working at the stations. Well, nobody from here was coming, that's for sure. <laughs> That's why you did it. <laughs> he didn't like his colleagues' figures. Oh, that's not true. Figures. Hey, uh, by the way, uh, I want to give a shout-out to our buddy Perry Nias, who is walking around here. Perry's birthday today. He's 58 years old. He's the Harvard Media Business Development Manager. But to be quite honest with you, okay, so check this out. Dude spent 27 years as a top on-air personality. You worked with him well, back in the day. A few years. Yeah, sure and 
He's in his 13th year as the top salesman in the company. Do you know how many days training he had for sales? Probably about a half hour. Yeah, two, I think two hours. Wow. They're like, he, he, you're supposed to have like two days of sitting in with like uh, mm-hmm. those those videos, right? He's like, mm-hmm. they're like, go, you're Perry, you go. You're Perry Nice, go do your own thing. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Perry Nice, happy birthday to old Nice. He is uh, getting things done around here, keeping the lights on. Okay, let's get to some uh, other sports topics. So we got a couple of quick seconds. Baseball, Blue Jays, 3-2 over the Red Sox. So that's good news. How about your Leafs? Muzzins and Matthews are out. Yeah. They're going to play Tampa in the first round, sure. probably, or Boston. Well, I, I, I honestly have to say, I feel bad for the Leafs, and I'm not even joking here. They, they, they're they a decent team, a oh, really yeah. good team, but they get the hardest competition in the first round. Yeah, yeah, they can't get past Boston, as they've proven a time or two, and then if they do, well, then you maybe get Florida in the next round. Good luck. And I honestly, I mean, uh, of course, I want them to do well. I want them to win another Stanley Cup in my lifetime. That'd be neat. But I just don't think they have the goaltending to do it. Yeah. Hey, Pete, how do you feel about this? Miguel Cabrera, who's an outstanding baseball player with the, in fact, people say Vladdy Guerrero is the new age Miguel Cabrera. He is a tough out at the plate. He came into this game with 2,999 hits. He's on home turf, Comerica Park in Detroit. They're leading the Yankees 3-0. He comes up to bat in the 8th and they walked him. They walked him. That's the most Yankee thing ever. Yeah, isn't that Bush League? Like, that's garbage, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to get 3,000 on us, is what they're saying. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't beat him, actually, but uh, that's just cheesy. Baseball, baseball, If I'm Rob Manford, I'm phoning the Yankees, Brian Cashman, and I'm fining them $50,000. I am mm-hmm. Dave Roberts. I'm fining him $50,000 for pulling Clayton Kershaw out of the game. It's about it's about the game, man. The average sports fan watching baseball is your age, right? In the 56-57 age bracket. That's the, that's the average age of a Major League Baseball fan. Curling and baseball have problems now with fans because people are moving away from that sport. That is ridiculous. They're going to encounter something that the CFL encountered quite a few years ago. You're going to lose a generation of fans. You're going to lose the young people that are coming up now that go look at Mm -hmm. baseball and say... Well, okay, we like analytics, but they're this is really overmanaged. You're pulling a guy pitching a perfect game in the seventh, like, and yeah, they they're not coming back either. Lastly, thirty seconds or less. Can you figure out why Debo Samuel's mad at the San Francisco Forty? He wants to be traded. They gave him the ball seventy percent of the time as a receiver or a running back. And if you're another team, are you paying him big money? Because I would say there's a lot of tread off those tires. I look at a guy like that, and let, let's, you know, fantasy world. Let's say I'm in charge of an NFL team. I look at him and I go, he doesn't want the ball. What is that? Or he only wants the ball as a wideout. That that suggests to me he's a soft player. He doesn't play soft, yeah. but it does. And, and yeah, good luck uh, finding a, a suitor that's going to give you fair value for a guy like that. Most receivers whine because they don't get the ball. He gets the ball and he's pissed off and he what, wants to uh, trade. What position do you play? Receiver. Yeah, there oh, shit. Come here at punching <laughs> distance. Go. You think you're fighting cancer? You'll be fighting me, buddy. Uh, when we come back on the other side of 5 o'clock news, Craig Dickinson, your coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, will join us. We'll also hear from Glenn Suter. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. The Sports Cage podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism, advocating for Saskatchewan's older people for 30 years.
skseniorsmechanism.ca. The Sports Cage Podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism, advocating for Saskatchewan's older people for 30 years. skseniorsmechanism.ca. And wherever you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. This show is brought to you on this Thursday by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins of the slot machine and a chance to win $1 million. Just before we get to our guests, we should update you on some sports. Blue Jays had a 3-0 lead. Kevin Gosman took the uh, shutout into the ninth. And then I think it was Romano uh, held on for the victory 3-2. They beat Boston, the rubber match there at Fenway Park. Tonight in the NHL, uh, Winnipeg's playing Carolina. They're just underway. Jets are pretty well done. Detroit at Florida. It's going to be Buffalo in New Jersey to take on the... Hold on here, yeah. Buffalo, or Boston at Pittsburgh, sorry. Buffalo in New Jersey, Rangers at the Islanders, and Vancouver trying to stay alive in the playoff push. They uh, lost a key point the other night, losing to Ottawa in a shootout. Uh, They're playing Minnesota tonight. Calgary home to Dallas, and uh, Toronto at Tampa Bay. Those are games that are really affecting... um, you know, some playoff chases and things like that. All right, let us get out to the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western Pizza. By the way, Zinger, keep your eye on that text line, that text machine brought to you by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac 936-6262. Coach Dickinson joins us. Dickie, how are you? I'm good. And, hey, I think a congratulations are in order there, Mr. Ball. Yeah, it's been a lot. It's been a long time, man. I I remember way back in the day, uh, in the bowels of Old Mosaic Stadium. I think it was your first go around with the Riders. I would do the call-in show just outside the weight room, and you'd come down after the team broke it all down, and you'd go in and you'd be doing some weights in the <laughs> weight room. You'd wave to me and go back. Do you remember that way back in the day? <laughs> well, I. I... I seem to remember bumping into you a bunch of different times. I don't remember that one specifically, but that, that doesn't surprise me. I remember running into you after a game, you and McCullough, yeah. when I was riding my bike. Yes. Night, I do remember When that. does a head coach stop by, get off his bike, and come on a call-in show? Nobody does that. That's why I want you to stay around for 25 years. I told your boss that. But let's go back to this. Do you have to pinch yourself sometimes? Like, hey, I love Taylor Field slash Old Mosaic Stadium. But let's be honest. It was a dump. dump. And now you're in the Taj Mahal of CFL facilities. Like, that is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic facility, and, and it's a real pleasure to work there. I mean, they got everything you want in terms of film and weight room and meeting space and training room. And, you know, it's a, it's a credit to the province of Saskatchewan and how much football means to, to the folks out here in Saskatchewan. So, yeah. It's a, it's a special place. There's no question. And when guys see it for the first time, it um, it impresses them to say the least. Coach, how much of a factor is that in recruiting? I mean, uh, we we think a weight room's a weight room, but these guys are coming from uh, big time programs, a place like Alabama, and and they looked at sure. the old Taylor Field and went, "What the heck?" So well, the new I place does that help? Question. I think I think it's a factor. Um, the thing is, rarely do we fly guys in before we sign them. So it's almost more of a after-the-fact sort of confirmation of, yeah, I did the right thing here coming to this place. These guys care about football, and, and there's everything here I need to be successful. But it, it's it's different than, than the college rat race where you bring them in, 
you wine them and dine them and show them. The reality is we, we don't do that very often. We just don't have the money to do that. I don't think a lot of teams do that. But I will say this, word, word on the street is pretty strong, and I think most guys that have played in Saskatchewan and gone somewhere else say very good things about our facility and about being a Rough Rider. Coach, it is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It is Saskatchewan's team. You know that. And I, you know what, I joke about Saskatoon, but I have a lot of respect for all the fans that drive from there and PA and wherever to come to the games. Okay, so I think it's great that the Riders get to be in Saskatoon for basically 10 days to two weeks and the fans get to have the Riders as their team there. But as a coach... We just talked about your facilities. Is it easy? Would it be easier just to do it in Regina, or do you like going to Saskatoon? It's a necessary evil, so to speak. You know, I like going to Saskatoon. Um, we did it last year at home, you know, just due to COVID and all that. And and while it is wonderful to be able to, you know, meet in your own meeting rooms, watch film in your office, there's just something about camp that when you go away, you're somewhere different, and you spend two to three weeks together with a group of people. It just builds a team and brings you together more. So I, I'm thrilled to be going out to Saskatoon. I think I think it's the right move, and I think it's going to help our team. Talking about the CFL and the CFLPA, and I don't want you to weigh in on that. That's not what I'm. That's not the where I'm going with this. But the coaching uh, staffs or salaries had to be cut. You know, in, in the 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 recent past, and we know what kind of uh, burden that puts on the coaching staff. So, how important when that happens is it to be more of a? And we talked about this before. Henry said that was one of the biggest things. You gotta you got. 23 coaches on like a Chicago Bears staff. Here, there's a lot of team, more teamwork in the CFL amongst the coaching staff. So, how important is it to be cohesive with that? It's super important. You're right because you only have ten guys, and um, you know, and you spend a lot of time together. So, you got to be able to get along. You got to be able to communicate health, you know, in a healthy and respectful manner. And I think I think we've got a really good staff for for that and I think we've got a good staff for for football knowledge and experience as well but that's super important I think anytime your staff or your football ops is not getting along as well as they should it filters down to the locker room players see it and they feed off of it so super important to have a a staff that enjoys being around each other and respects each other and enjoys working together now to be fair, nobody expects you to uh, give up any secrets or, or show your hand at the table too early here, but previewing the CFL draft, um, and I know this is also a question for Jeremy O'Day, but are you guys looking at a specific position with that first-round pick or just best available player? I think we'll go best available. I really do. Um, you know, we got we got some needs at offensive line, I think, a little bit. So, I mean, if a good one's there at seven, we'll probably take them. But... Um, Best available is certainly what we want to do, and uh, something you know something that we're um, committed to doing. I, I still think you've got to build depth at your Canadian positions, but when you can get a real good one, um, maybe a position and, and that is not traditionally one of your Canadian starters, you can always have some flexibility and change that. So uh, we'll go best available, but with an eye out for guys that we feel like can help us on the offensive line and maybe even receiver. Got to ask you this question, Coach. 
uh, because I get asked it a lot. <laughs> I just got asked when people said, "Oh, you're the voice of the Riders." Got the inside scoop on Brendan Labatt. Like it's mm. not like yeah, I you're, pa- you're panning the softball me balls. Yeah, what are you doing? yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no, no, no. But have you like? There's got to be a drop dead date. Like in my mind, I don't think he comes back. Once you're away from, fo- it's not like you. It's not like tennis or something. No disrespect, Pete. You play hey, tennis, hey. yeah. But but it's like you're an offensive lineman. You, at some point, we got to have a drop dead date. Any update on Brendan Labatt? No update. Um, it's in his hands. You know that's one thing. Jeremy and I visited with uh, each other about. We feel like Blues earned earned the respect due him, and we're going to give him as much time as he needs. I do believe he's going to make a decision very soon. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think we'll know. But the reality is probably the drop dead date is going to be uh, training camp. You know, if we don't see him at training camp, then we've got a pretty good idea that he's, he's not going to play. Coach, we're going to take a break. Hold you for one more segment if we can, because I got an interesting question about Calgary for you. It's it, it just came down today, and I just want to get your interesting inside thoughts as a special teams guy. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. And this is something going forward. We haven't got it all produced yet because the show has just come. I've just been named the host. But we're going to have this segment every week. And we'll unveil it when we do. But it's going to be the Craig Dickinson show. So every when we have him on once a week, it'll be 5 to 5.30. And what we're planning and coaches agreed to for the first 15 minutes, we'll chop it up with him. And then we'll take some calls. And it'll be the only time he really takes calls from listeners the entire year. So uh, there you go. Yeah, good chance for the callers to get on board. But we don't have any today. So we are just uh, talking ourselves. Now, in Calgary, Coach, where you coached both as an opponent and as a guy, there, a home guy, there's a speaker that is strung over the field. Now, it's high enough you shouldn't hit it with a punt, although the old Ram and Ryder kicker Mike Lezecki actually in warm-ups did do it a couple of times. Uh, But that is going away. Did that ever concern you as a special teams guy with the, with the, you know, the the wiring and and the speaker? Actually, no, it didn't because we, you know, we were out there enough during practice that our guys tried to hit it, and it it is really hard to hit that thing. It is up there a long way. So I saw Burke Dales hit it one time. Uh, Michael Bishop, I heard, could throw the ball up and hit it. But for the most part, it looks a lot closer than it is when you start actually trying to get the ball up there. It's it's out of play. Michael, so, yeah, it'll be different seeing in that stadium without that big speaker there in the middle. Michael Bishop could hit the speaker, but not a receiver. Just ask his team. Just ask his teammates <laughs> in 2008. Only like, receivers or that speaker if he's aiming for it. Yeah. Okay. So, Coach, uh, you're going to be doing a dinner, and uh, Pete's got a follow-up question here. But you're going to be doing a dinner uh, for the Regina Rams, April the 28th, with Mike Pinball Clements. Just your thoughts on Mike Pinball Clements. I mean, what a what a great foot, but. You know what an important figure in the CFL too. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's one of the true gems of the league. I mean, there's not, I don't know a single person that doesn't one like Pinball Clements and two have great respect for him. He's just that that need of a person. So to be able to share the stage with him and honestly to be, be able to just sit back and listen to him, I'm really looking forward to that dinner. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to listening to what he has to say because I don't know if there's a better motivator, a better uh, leader in in all of, of pro sports than 
pinball club is. I got the utmost respect for that guy. Yeah, he definitely, you know, Huffnagel had a great speech in Montreal, 2008 Grey Cup. Pinball had an equally good speech in 2004 when uh, Damon Allen at 40-some years old uh, beat our own local guy, Jason Claremont of the BC Lions in the Grey Cup in Ottawa. That, that goes down as an, as an all-timer. Do you ever look at old coaching speeches and take pluck a little bit from wood and a little from pinball when you're coming up with speeches? You know, I haven't, but I probably should. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, did, I did hear the one by Pinball. It was fantastic, and I was there for Huffs as well. Here, here's the crazy thing about those pregame speeches. They, they're they more enjoyable after the fact. Yeah. Um, the crazy part about it is Huffs, which was fantastic. I mean, it was one of the best I've ever been a part of. We go out and proceed to get down two scores to Montreal almost immediately. So the motive, <laughs> it's entertainment value for sure. I don't know if it helps your team play better. So most of the time, I spend actually very little time preparing a pregame speech. I try to reinforce the things we've been talking about all week and just try to keep keep what I think should be forefront in their minds in their minds. But the reality is those pregame speeches are really more just enjoyable looking back on them than they are actually motivating, in my opinion. Bottom line, if, if a player needs a pregame speech for you to motivate them, you probably got the wrong players. <laughs> well, I mean, the other guys are motivated too. You know, I, I think it's awesome. Like, you can get people fired up. There's no question about it. But at the end of the day, that, that enthusiasm, that fire lasts about three to four plays, and then you settle into the game. So I, I don't want to, uh, you know, diminish the value of them because I do think they're very valuable. But my pregame speeches tend to be less rah-rah and more – just reinforcing what we've talked about all week in terms of what we need to do to win the game. Coach, getting back to that that Rams dinner for just a second, um, obviously a lot of people will pick your brain at at an event like that and and elsewhere. I mean, at training camp, there are probably a lot of U of S Huskies hanging around and coaches. If you could address, I guess, every U sports player or coach and just give them one piece of advice for those looking to move up to the next level, i.e. the CFL, what would you tell them? I tell them, uh, get used to working hard, you know, and, and enjoy it because it's a grind. And um, nothing comes easy, easy, even to the best of athletes. Um, but <laughs> like that old saying, luck tends to favor the, the folks who work harder and uh, and work the hardest. So that's all I tell them. Um, God can give you only so much natural ability, but you can get a lot a lot more out of your body and out of your mind if you, if you put in the work. So I think that's the difference, too, with the – next level who separates the real good ones from just the okay ones is, is who puts the work in in the weight room the film room and takes care of their body you gotta have laser focus too it's funny you bring that up because i just talked to my son who's doing real well in north dakota and he's uh i don't want to make this about my kid but it ties into what you're saying coach because he's near the top of the depth chart after spring ball okay he's he's on track to play against nebraska in week one there which is unbelievable That's so cool. that is crazy but then he texts me yesterday and he goes dad they just signed a commit from another fcs school that's got two years of eligibility he's six two he's 200 pounds he's a safety oh. uh and he's like he's like it, it this is unbelievable he goes i said well ethan if you're going to play professional football, if that's a goal of yours, get used to it. That's your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the hard reality of it. And uh, by the way, I've been following your son a little bit. He's he's kicking ass right now. Good for and I'm I'm proud of him. He's doing good. But that's the reality of major Division One football. I found that out when I was even at Montana. I had 
a spring where I was just okay. And the next fall, I had two walk-on JC kids, and all of a sudden they're competing for the same job that I was. I'd never even seen them before. <laughs> um, and it just happens more when you get to the pros. So focus is definitely there. And, you know, one thing I did show, I remember I did a career day years ago when I was in Calgary, and everybody wants to get into coaching because they think it's exciting and fun. And I showed everybody that was there, it was college kids, I showed them a picture of McMahon Stadium empty. And I said, this is what it looks like 355 days of the year. So if you if you want to coach for what it looks like on game day, you're going to be disappointed a, a, lot, a long time in, in most of the year because the reality is most of the hard work that allows you to win happens when there's nobody watching. Yeah, good point. And, and lastly, Coach, back to the coaching. Uh, and, and we talked about having 10 guys on a staff, but how important is it to have your coordinators? Like you got Jason Moss. I thought that was a really great hire. You, you, uh, you know, you weren't, you weren't wavered by bringing in a guy with coaching, a head coaching experience. Jason Shivers, who I think is a really good DC. Uh, you look in Hamilton. Like I'd take, these are the three staffs. Your brother's an excellent head coach. But these are the three staffs I could think you could throw in a blender and make a case for any of them. Hamilton, Tommy Condell, um, and Mark Washington, or, and Orlando Steinauer. They're his associate head coaches and him. Then you've got the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with Buck Pierce to a lesser extent. He's still cutting his teeth. Mm-hmm. Richie Hall, who I'm going for lunch with tomorrow, by the way. Nice. Name drop. And, of course, uh, the head coach, Mike O'Shea. And then you got Craig Dickinson with Shivers and Jason Moss. You could put any of those ones and make a case they'd be the best coaching staff in the league. How important is it for you to have solid, solid OCDC, even special teams guy? Super important. I mean, the reality is those are the guys that do the heavy lifting. As a head coach, you can kind of plot the course and point the direction, but the guys that do the heavy lifting and really get the team moving are your assistant coaches, and the coordinators are basically the head coaches of their side of the ball. So. I agree with you. I couldn't be happier with our staff. I feel both Jasons are solid football coaches, good men, and really relate well to the players. I think they get a lot of respect from the group. Cam Majeri is going to be doing our special teams. I think he's as good as they come in terms of just a diversified, well-rounded coach. He doesn't have the experience that other coaches has, but he, he's a quick learner, and he, he does a good job. So, you know, and I try my darndest to, to give him as much love as I can because I know – uh, our success depends on the uh, ability of our assistant coaches to reach the players and to get them to play hard. And I feel like we got a good staff. We're seeing a lot more uh, head coaches also take on a coordinator role. Now, maybe that's the fact there's no money in the CFL these days. I don't know. But for folks who haven't done it or, or don't know anything about it, and you certainly have as a special teams coordinator and a head coach, how difficult is that to balance those two? Yeah, it's a little bit time-consuming, but, you know, you're bang on, by the way. Uh, we wouldn't do it if we didn't have to because um, there's other things you could do if, if you had enough coaches to, to fill everything. But the reality is in, in salary cap world, um, you've got you to try to pay your guys as much as you can. And what that means is you've got to do a little bit of coaching yourself. Hmm. And the other thing is this. It's fun to coach. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us got into it because we enjoy interacting with the players. We enjoy being hands-on on the field. And as soon as you start to view yourself as a CEO and just kind of a hands-off guy where you just sit there and watch people coach, to me that's not as enjoyable. 
to me, you're not as effective as a coach. You're not as effective when you visit with the team and speak with the guys. So I'm going to coach regardless. I, I don't have the special teams coordinator title this year, but I will be coaching on special teams. I'll be sitting in with the defense and sitting in with the offense as much as I can, trying to help them. Um, I think coaching, the, the fun part of coaching is being hands-on. And uh, that's one of the neat things about the CFL is, is you've got a small enough staff you can get involved in a lot of different things. You, you're coaching football for a living in Saskatchewan. I mean, it doesn't get, in the CFL, to me, it doesn't get any better than that. And I get to call Saskatchewan Rough Rider games. I might have the second best job in the world. <laughs> Can't wait. You were also the no, two I guys most under the microscope. Your ballsy so you can call and, and be celebrating. That's the goal. That's what I want because you know what, Coach? You know, all positive. You know what, Coach? Because if you don't do well, besides you, I'm the guy that's going to be blamed. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. I think that's very, that's very, uh, that's a great point. It is. Well-deserved. Oh. <laughs> okay, Coach, get out of here. We'll talk to you later, man. Thanks for your time. Take care. Take care. That's actually part of the business plan over there. If we yeah. don't make the Grey Cup, yeah. blame Ballsy. That's what they're. That's some of the people. They're like, "Oh, great year for you to be doing it. We're going to win the Grey Cup." Go. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't tackle, block, do any of that. I'll just call the games. Like he said, hopefully I'm calling some great action. I think I will. They're a good team. I think so. They're a good team. When we come back, we'll talk to Glenn Suter as he'll join us for his segment brought to you by Quality Tire on 620 CKRM. And this segment brought to you by Quality Tire. $48 last night at the county fair. Oh. Anyway, uh, it's brought to you by Quality Tire with 10 locations across Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca. Glenn Suter joining us here. We'll have a new name for Suter segment, too, once we get everything uh, produced here. Uh, suits, um, how much have you spent at a county fair trying to, or a, or a, or a, like a fair that came to Vancouver or something, trying to impress the lady in your life? Yeah, I, well, I'll get to that in a second. But before we go there, nice try, nice try. <laughs> First of all, congratulations. Oh, on singing, on, on singing, no. <laughs> Yeah, you that was clever. You just tried to pass right over top of that. No, no, hey, congratulations. I think it's great, outstanding. You're going to be calling games. You're running the sports cage. We're going to kick butt yeah. and give give the fans of Saskatchewan and, and the people across Canada the goods on the Canadian Football League and the honesty, the transparency, the real Canadian and patriotism that I know you have. I don't I can't think of a more patriotic passionate football lover than than michael ball so i am uh i'm real happy for you my friend and uh yeah i'm i'm looking forward to working with you all season you know what uh, thank you for those kind words and it's <laughs> it, i'll tell you what man it's weird it's it's really weird and i'll tell you this i'll go back to 1988 and i'm i don't want to bring up a bad story but it, it was good too because i was cheering for you in 89 but 1988 i'm 
or 89, sorry, I'm what? Well, 88, I'm watching you guys. I, I find, We didn't have a lot of money. Go to the game. We get our ass kicked by BC, 42-18. It's freezing. Uh, my son, my brother and I spent the whole time in the bathroom at halftime because it was the only heated place at old dumpy Taylor Field. The Riders finally make the playoffs but lose to Tony Cherry and the BC Lions. The next year, Glenn Suter gets that interference penalty against Joe Galat and the BC Lions when we should have won the game and then all of a sudden they go on this run and and miraculously win but it's funny when you hear a guy like that talk about you and you actually grew up watching the guy yeah and he's not that much older than me but he grew up watching him it's it really it really does hit home and i will tell you i got a lot of great messages and i don't want to make this about me but i know he's your friend and i've only talked to chris cuthbert maybe twice or three times and maybe for a total of one minute how's it going enjoy your work blah 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 he sent me a private message yesterday congratulating me telling me i was going to do great and i just thought it spoke to not only the professional glenn that he is but just the good dude and a great human that he is well he also understands the importance of the position and and the job and the responsibility that that the play-by-play guy has when he is the play-by-play guy of the riders in canada and so that that is something that I know Chris would recognize immediately. But you're you're bang on right. And you know I've I'm asked many many times about what makes Chris Cuthbert as good as he is, and I say the same thing every single time, which is in the execution of being a great play-by-play guy, there are a lot of people that do that well, and Chris is one of them. But what makes him good? What what separates him from the pack is the real passion. He grew up loving Canadian football. To him, it's as important as a gold medal game in hockey or a Stanley Cup final in hockey in our country. And it's real. It's real passion. And all you have to do is ride from the park to the airport or the car or the hotel to the park and and have a conversation with CC about what he feels about the Canadian Football League and things we we you know we want to talk about as far as quarterbacks and it's it's all true patriotic passion for the game he grew up loving the ottawa rough riders back in the old days and mm-hmm. um and it's real and it's real ballsy and that's what separates them and and you have that and that's i think what is so exciting about this announcement and that it's official is that you know the, the, the rider fan in that province has a passionate person that loves the game that will be open and honest about it. We, we know you have you, that side mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but understands the importance of the game in our country, and that's exactly how Chris Cuthbert approached it as a play-by-play guy in television. This is the lead analyst for TSN for football in the country. That's Glenn Suter, Ryder Plaza of Honor Safety. Pete, I'll let you think about it, Glenn, while I lob the question to Pete first. So my first real memory of the CFL, like Mm. I said when I told the story yesterday, was throwing the ball to myself on the grass in Indian Head. My grandpa just died on Grey Cup Saturday of 1978. I remember it like it was yesterday. And so that whole... I used to shoot pucks on him. He'd sit in the sit in the chair, and I'd shoot pucks on him for, as a five-year-old, six-year-old kid. Well, then my grandpa was gone. I didn't want to go outside. Finally, went outside, and I listened to I I listened to the Rough Rider games out like 
in the garage, the game was playing. I'm throwing the ball to myself. That's kind of my first memory, sports memory, first CFL memory. You came from Ontario, Pete. What was your first CFL memory? Well, my experience is a little bit different. Growing up in southern Ontario, we were we were NFL country, big yeah. time, big time. I mean, if you could go to a game, you weren't going to an Argos game. You're going to a Detroit Lions game. Right. Having said that, I loved any kind of football. Mm. I mean, I don't care. It didn't matter to me. So uh, I have watched the CFL. I followed the CFL. Probably one of the first games I remember watching. Tom Wilkinson led the Edmonton Eskimos to a great cup. I, I think it might have been the first of their five in a row because mm. they had another quarterback after that who was also pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you might know him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I remember that. And I remember going out and it was snowing in Ontario that day, too. And I just threw the ball around to, uh, well, myself because it didn't. <laughs> Didn't have a whole lot of friends, uh, or not in my age group anyway. Yeah. And uh, I thought that's cool. That would be so much fun. Forget the NFL. This is this is attainable, and it's just awesome. We used to Glenn, my brother and I. We he's five years younger than me. This is what I'd love for the younger kids to get to. I wish we could get back to that again. I hope we can. My brother and I used to. We I'll I'll, I'll never forget. We made towels like so like the quarterback towels. We made mm-hmm. towels, and I wrote Huffnagel on mine, and he's like, Michael, what what? How do you spell? Bell pow pow and I'm like it's P-A-O P-A-O and we pretended we were pow pow and huffnagle you know what I mean back in the day yeah. Glenn what's your kind of first memory as a fan like what do you remember about the CFL as a young guy well I, I remember it like it was yesterday as well and it was when I was growing up as a youngster and I'm talking you know grade well basically elementary school from grade one up to grade seven and I moved to Vancouver in, in, when I was going into grade seven. So that's sort of the age I was at coming to the big city. But I was in Prince George, and my dad, who was working with a telecom uh, company in BC, basically BC Tel now, is um, he drove me to one Lions game per year. Mm-hmm. So we would, we would make the drive 500 miles. He would buy a ticket in the regular stands at Empire Stadium, Old Empire, and I would go to what was called the Nally chip seats. And, and to get into the Nally chip seats, you just needed an empty bag of Nally chips. I remember that company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it, the, the section in the corner of the end zone was full of kids. And back then, the parents didn't have to be sitting right beside them. You could just drop your kids off. It was all closed in. They couldn't get away. There were bathrooms. And, you, and, and your own concession. And the kids were in this section. So when the game was over... They open up that section, and all the kids were allowed to run on the field. Well, back then, it was Jerry Taggy and the cardiac kids in B.C. Mm-hmm. That, were, that were these great comeback kids. So I run out on the field, and I'm not sure how old I was at this point, but I run out on the field, and Jim Young is standing right there after a come-from-behind win where in the final three minutes the Lions scored two touchdowns and a field goal to win in the last two minutes of the game. And that's how exciting I'm, I'm running out on the field. Jim Young stops. He kneels down on one knee. He asks my name. We sit and chat for, I, I felt like it was a half an hour because I was enjoying it so much. It was probably about five minutes. <laughs> he asked me about playing minor football and if I was going to and all those things. And then he gave me his chin strap from his helmet. Wow. And his towel. And I still have that stuff. 
in my basement right now because that's when I fell in love with Canadian football when a guy that had just caught a touchdown pass in front of me when, under the lights at Empire Stadium when I was a little kid, just this was huge, and he spent five minutes with me. I thought, this, I love this. I'm going to do everything in my power to play this sport, and maybe I can one day play in Empire Stadium under the lights. And later that, you know, later, years later, I, I played there with SFU when we played the Shrumble. And that was the that was my moment where I walked out on the field at Empire Stadium and went, "Wow, I'm here! I got here! I'm on. This is where the Lions play." Yeah. And then it went on from there. So you know what? It, it, we have these stories, and this is why when when I when we all talk about what the league needs more than anything is to go and and reach those kids, reach the six to twelve year old kid that hasn't chosen hasn't picked between one league or another or is impressed because guys make millions of dollars he just wants to have a good time some nally chips and maybe he gets a chance to meet one of the guys that were on the field 100 percent, 100 percent. we're going to talk about uh a little bit more about that because i got a question pete's got some uh draft type questions for you and uh more with glenn Suter. For quality tire here on the Sports Cage. And this show is brought to you today by Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. All right, quick sports ticker. It's 548. Sports tickers for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781 2090. Kevin Gosman's excellent outing led the Blue Jays past the Red Sox this afternoon, 3 2 the final score. With the win, the Jays take the series two games to one and now sit at 8 5 on the year. Toronto starts a three-game weekend set in Houston tomorrow. Ballsy. Thanks, Singer. Best producer in the business. I'm watching there talking about Jake Gensel here for the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins. Ballsy here with um, my buddy Pete Pascoe and Glenn Suter on the phone. Pittsburgh's the master of creating guys who are nobodies into stars. Like, did anybody know who Jake Gensel was? No. Three years ago? It's like, no. uh, Jim Smith is playing with Malkin and Crosby, and boom. Uh, he's got, you know, X amount of points. Who in the CFL, Glenn, is like that for you that just makes that guy better? Would it be Bo Levi Mitchell? You know what I mean? Like, who who makes people around him better? Because I swear, Crosby and Malkin could put Michael Ball on left wing and he'd get 40 points. Well. Yeah, there's lots of guys that are like that. I mean, you know, back in the in the day when I was in the huddle, Bobby Jerson was that kind of guy, or Eddie Lowe in a yeah. different way. Um, you know, players that that lead by example. I mean, if you went to practice every single day, you could not be at the practice field ahead of Bobby Jerson, and you couldn't leave last. He was going to be there longer than you were. And sooner or later, as you walk by him in the mornings, and he's out there working on his pass rush techniques, and you go, I got to get here earlier. Like, why, why am I coming in at nine? How long has he been here? And then you find out it was seven, and you go, wow, I'm going to come in tomorrow at eight. And then, it, and then all of a sudden, that, that groundswell happens in the locker room because of those guys and you know it doesn't have to be the quarterback position often it is and it's great if it is but it doesn't have to be it could be other other players in other positions glenn mark tressman and i uh talked about this we talked about it off the air but he doesn't mind if i bring it up on the air um cfl coaching legend he is a firm believer like you we need to get younger people 
We aren't selling out the stadiums. Here's the one thing about the NFL. You could watch one of Tressman's old teams. Let's say the Bears play the Lions, and it's 9-6, and it's the worst football you've ever watched. (laughs) But because of the TV production, but more so because of the crowd there, it it sounds like it's big time. It's Mm -hmm. big time. So what about letting 14-year-old Glenn Suters and younger, you talked about your Jim Young days, Come to the game for free, because that's what he thinks we should do if we're not selling out. Create per, create an atmosphere. Perception is everything. Facts are negotiable. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to amateur football kids, there's your there's your secret pass. It really is. I mean, this is where from age six in flag and touch football all the way up to you know probably age twelve. Um, you know, you can you can work on deals with your local minor football organizations in the province, and get those kids to games. Even if even if it requires supplying team buses and things like that, as an organization to get kids to games. Um, you know, I I agree with the promotions with parents and and young kids going in free that kind of thing. Those those can happen, and you don't have to do that forever. The you know the the most important aspect or one of the most important aspects of it will be when the league office if they do things like that to make sure they control the narrative and i don't mean control what other people say but control how the league is presenting it because you know there will be people in the country especially with regards to the cfl that will say well they're giving away tickets free now because no one cares about it and right first of all that is not true and second of all we're getting kids to engage with the sport at a young age. It's good for minor football in our country, which in in the long haul will be good for professional football in our country. But the professional, you know, organization, the CFL, we have to be completely intertwined and involved with minor football at all levels in every province. You know, I've I've thought for years it would be great to have um, basically summits football summits where you you'd have one maybe up in saskatoon or in regina one year and then the next year it's in bc and then one in alberta and all the minor football people including camps the organization of it the economics of it everything is is brainstormed and talked about at these summits with the cfl putting them on for minor football people and and then you you can you can walk out of those meetings united and how we promote the game together throughout the country. And part of that will be a discussion of making sure everyone in every province plays three-down football. Mm -hmm. Good point. Well, okay, that ties in nicely to uh, the next generation of football players, probably about 100 or so young men around the country that are hoping to hear their name uh, called or their phone ring uh, when the draft rolls around. I don't know if you heard uh, the segment earlier with Coach Dickinson, but he basically said if there's a good old lineman that we like available at our at our first pick, number seven, we're taking an old lineman. So me doing the math says, okay, well, you picked up Jamal Campbell in the offseason. He's a Canadian. Pencil him in at right tackle. I really like U of S Huskies Noah Zur for that number seven spot. Is that a likely pick, or, or who do you think they might pick? Yeah, you know, I haven't, you know, I I often don't go through like the I am I'm, I'm involved with looking at the top guys and and how some people are are ranking, you know, some of the draft picks, potential draft picks. I'll obviously be tuned in big time to the show and and watching it online as well. Um first thing I would say is that 
it's a it's a tricky one. You know, I hear all the time that TSN we should broaden our coverage of the CFL draft and make it more like the NFL draft. It's it, it's it's a tricky one, and it's it's almost impossible to generate the same sort of interest because our draft is unique. It's it's first of all, it's more difficult than any because you're not just taking the top players. You you might go positionally. Um, with the Canadian ratio element, then now you're taking players like the first round and a half could be offensive and defensive linemen, which is unique to any draft that you would see in any other sport. So, you know, I, I think that's where it becomes a tricky TV show. And then when it comes to the guys, again, I, I think what Craig Dickinson said is the way I would approach it. And I think the way a lot of teams do, which is, who is the best athlete, the best player, the, mo- the most, you know, not even the best athlete necessarily because I, I heard, uh, was it Glenn Steele earlier? Eddie Steele, yeah. Show, Eddie Steele, yeah. Eddie Steele, yeah. I'm sorry, Eddie Steele, yeah. And, and Eddie was saying, and I, and I agree that, um, you know, you, you, just, you just never know. I mean, the Tom Brady syndrome, right? You just never know. He was a sixth-round draft pick mm-hmm. and became the greatest of all time. I mean, you know, sometimes like Rob Bag won't get drafted, and he'll become a star receiver in the league. So you're just not really sure. So what's the best approach? Take the most pro-ready that you think, and take the most um, accomplished athlete in the group in the first few rounds for sure, and then maybe think positionally after that. But you know, it it, it doesn't always line up where you absolutely need O linemen or or DBs and your first three picks are going to be the best DBs available, or what you've ranked as the best, because you're never really sure until you get them into camp. You got to about 35 seconds, 40 seconds. I know maybe you can't sum it up. What was your, like, did you step right in? I can't remember. Like, were you pegged to play right away? No, no. I, I Well, I was drafted the first pick of the second round, so right. I think it was 10th over, overall. And I was, and I, I actually on draft day, it wasn't on TV, of course, and yeah. I was listening to it on the radio, and I was uh, called on draft day early in the morning by Frank Morris of the Edmonton, at that time, Eskimos, now mm-hmm. Elks, and they uh, they said they were going to draft me in the first round and would I be interested in playing there, and I, I basically said, absolutely, I'd be interested in playing anywhere. In fact, I'll sweep the locker room floor if you need <laughs> after practice. And... Um, and then in the next day, I didn't get picked in the first round. The first pick of the second, Saskatchewan took me, and I was just ecstatic. I mean, I, I, you know, you're emotional. You're you're talking to your family. You're calling your parents and your, you know, your girlfriend or whoever at the time, and and it's an emotional. I can't believe I'm going to get an opportunity, and that's all it is. It's just an opportunity. Right. It's, it doesn't guarantee you anything to get to a training camp and possibly, you know, be able to play pro football for a living. And, and that's, you know, I, I just, I, I roll my eyes when I hear some reporters across the country, especially in the East, say, well, no one's really dreaming of, of being drafted in the CFL. And I go, that, that is so wrong and so untrue. Watch how emotional guys are when we put them on camera after their pick to play for the Hamilton Tiger Cats or the Calgary Stampeders or whomever takes them. Mm-hmm. Watch how emotional are they and how excited they are with their families. Mm-hmm. It means a ton to the Canadian athlete. Second round pick. 
Plaza of Honor lead analyst at TSN. I would say it worked out pretty well for that guy. We'll have uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have yourself a great weekend, buddy. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Take care. That's Glenn Suter, former Saskatchewan Rough Rider. Great. On the other side of six, Pete's going to hang in. We're going to talk with Arash Madani. And before the show wraps up, Oilers color commentator Bob Stoffer. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca. Okay, we're uh, trying to get a hold of Arash Madani. Now, I got to make sure that uh, I got the day right because we're all... Well, because he's traveling. No, I'm right. I got the right day. It's Thursday, right? Yep. He said 8.05 Eastern, so we're trying to get a hold of him. Zinger's trying to get a hold of him. Can I do a quick shout-out? Yeah, you could do an absolute quick shout-out, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, shout-out. Hold on a second here. Zinger, can you put up Pete's mic there? No. Oh, he's wait a second here. Give me a second. He's on the phone trying to line up a rush. Hold on a second. Uh, the show brought to you by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win $1 million. Uh, all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime. A great time to order Western Pizza. Ask your local Western Pizza location about their specials. And all our um, all our guests... Or sorry, all our fans texting in, do it on the uh, Capital GMC text line uh, powered by GMC Buick Cadillac, Saskatchewan's number one GM dealership. Uh, Zinger, are you there? Do we got him? Yes, no, maybe so. Zinger's busy, so he can't talk. Okay, I don't know, Pete. You're, apparently your mic's not exactly working, so just hang. It's nothing you're doing, so just hang on there. Uh, we're watching some NHL here. Pittsburgh leading Boston, one nothing. Do you got him? You got him? Okay. Um, first off, can you put Pete's mic up? Because he had a shout-out here that he wanted to uh, uh, give. Go ahead, Pete. Man, for sure. And they've it, already yeah, cut me they've off. They've already fired oh. you, yeah. Anyway, uh, quick shout-out to the uh, Regina Riot mm-hmm. women's football team. They're kicking off their training camp actually right at this moment. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, they're they're getting set to uh, play a real season for the first time uh-huh. in a couple of years. They only played three games against Saskatoon last year, and that wasn't a lot of fun for them. Yeah. So uh, hats off to them. Good luck to all the teams participating. And if you want to watch some good football this summer, the uh, National U18 Women's Championships coming to Regina. That's nice. And they got a big uh, football celebration, including the flag football championships at the varsity at the university level Mm -hmm. uh, down there in, I believe, Carleton University in May. So it's going to be great. Well, we talked about untapped markets at the grassroots level. There's one right there. The women. First Nations, women, Mm -hmm. indigenous community. Or uh, First Canadians, pardon me, indigenous community. All right, let's head out on the Western Pizza Hotline. Whenever we have this guy on, it's the Madani Report. Brought to you by Smart Investing Solutions. Be smart with your money. Call Brian Golly at Smart Investing Solutions, 546-2533. Arash Madani from Beantown, where the Toronto Blue Jays won the rubber match today. Arash, I didn't watch much of the game. Through your eyes, looks like a pretty good performance from uh, the guy they paid a lot of money to on the mound there. Yeah, they gave Kevin Gosman $110 million Hmm. uh, this offseason. Ballsy, I'll tell you what, um, through five innings, I looked up at the scoreboard and I'm like, wait a minute. He's through five complete. He's at 51 pitches and he hasn't given up a run. And then I looked up after eight innings. He's at 87 pitches and he hasn't given up a run. And I'm like, is he, are we really going to see a complete game? Like, is this. Is this 2002 or 2022? And then Gosman came out for the ninth inning and gave up a hit, and then Jordan Romano came in and saved it. But it it felt like an old-school game 
in an old school ballpark where there was a lot of drama in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. And as as April regular season baseball games go, uh, today actually had a lot of it. And if you're a Blue Jays fan, I like the fact that uh, pitching won them the day. In fact, pitching was great for the last couple of days. Two, one, three, two. Like they that that's good to see because you know they can hit homers. You know they can put runs up. So it's nice to see uh, you know the pitching kind of pick it up now. Yeah, and and outside of opening day, this is a team, and I know they have a lot of offense. But Teoscar Hernandez is on the injured list, and George Springer oh. had to get x-rays yesterday because he got plunked in the forearm in the sixth inning. But outside of opening day, they have not scored more than six runs in a game. Yet, they're in first place in the AL East early. They have not lost a series through, what are they, three or four series into the season. Four. And it was it was Gosman today who just said, "Hey, our pitching has got to carry us right now." I thought that was a really telling statement. So, if you're a Blue Jay fan, when you look at this pitching, there are a few things that stand out. One, Jose Barrios here uh, the other night threw 96 pitches. That's a good sign this early in the season going that deep. Gosman got in the ninth, and then Yusei Kikuchi, who they brought over from Seattle in free agency. He saw the top of the order for a fourth time, which we don't even see in October anymore. And the Blue Jays were willing to give him that kind of leash to go deep into games. So that's a good sign from a starting pitching standpoint. And we haven't even talked about Alec Manoa, who may be their most ruthless starter. Um, so it, the, the starting pitching has looked okay so far. Hey, uh, I missed this singer. Can you call up YS52? I want to play this clip. Arash is hanging on. Hopefully you can hear this. Uh, this came from last night's uh, game, uh, Texas and Seattle. Now Texas would lose 4-2, to two, but they did this in the game. Hit it, Zinger. You know, if there's something there, he's trying to, I don't know, deke somebody or something. But this one lined to first. Right there, Ford is low. He'll triple touch play. first for two and now throw it to second base for the triple play. Ask... And you shall receive. Yeah, so that was a 2-6-2 triple play. Texas has turned seven in their club's history. It was the 10th against the Mariners by any team. Um, so there you go. Last one Seattle hit into came September 2nd, 2006. Arash, where does a triple play rank in terms of interesting plays that you see with all the sports you cover? Well, it's almost like a unicorn, Ballsy. You know, you just never see it. And That's then true. Two six two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So catcher, shortstop, catcher. Uh, I don't think we're talking about. They there? said two two six two. So would that be? I guess I. Yep. Uh, yeah, two six two. That's yeah. what they said. Two huh. six two. Yeah. Wild. Um, I I was actually having this conversation with someone the other day that. Somebody asked me, what do you think the most exciting play in baseball is? Everyone gets excited about a walk-off home run to win it. I actually think the most exciting play in baseball is in a one-run game with two outs and a runner, say, is on second base or on third, is a gun down at the plate to walk it off and win on a defensive play. Like if it's a single to right field with a runner on second and the third base coach sends them, they get them. Or if it's a sack fly or an attempted sack fly um, to left or right field and and the outfielder just makes a laser throw, catcher gets the tag down to win the game in that fashion, I think that's awesome. And we rarely see that. 
But the triple play, I think, is even more of a relic than that one. Mm -hmm, For sure. Well, Arash, you rarely get asked tennis questions on this show, so that is my sworn duty to ask ask you at least one. I'm here for you, man. How much time do you have? All the time in the world. And if you come to Regina, we'll play. Um, And you'll beat me, and it'll be a fun time. (laughs) The All England Club, the host of the Wimbledon uh, tournament, has said, Russian players, no, you're not coming this year. Um, and that includes the number two men's player in the world, Medvedev. Yes. Uh, the ATP Who won and the, the U.S. Open last fall. Yeah. Yes. The ATP and the WTA, the the governing bodies of, of the sport, are apoplectic. They're 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 going crazy. Did Wimbledon get it right? Here's what's interesting about this, and I didn't and I didn't know this until today. Um, there there is an old school newspaper clipping from like 1943 or 1944 where Wimbledon during the Second World War did not allow German and Japanese players Mm. to play at the All England Club for their championships. And you talk about history having a way of repeating itself. Here we are, what, two generations later? And there's a war in Ukraine, and now the Belarusians and the Russians cannot compete. Look, I know where the ATP and WTA is coming from. They know where their bread's buttered. They're terrified of what's going to happen to their business, if that's the case. Wimbledon's a standalone tournament for two weeks that, by the way, actually took out pandemic insurance like seven or eight years ago and made billions of dollars off of it when 2020 got canceled. Um Wimbledon's going to do its thing, and they don't really care what the tours think because they're the they're like the Masters. You know, the Masters are not affiliated with the PGA. Wimbledon's not affiliated with the ATP and WTA, so the tours can say whatever they'd like. But Wimbledon's going to do its own thing. They pay more prize money than anybody else. It's the most prestigious event in the world, and if they say you can't come play. There will be no consequence from other players who are going to come out in, in defense of it. So, Pete, it's a great question, but I just thought the historical significance of it was really interesting in just that the exact same thing happened way back when during World War II. Tell you what, man, we'll load Pete up with some more uh, tennis questions uh, next time. Thanks for your time, Arash. Love uh, your insight. This guy has his hands on a bunch of different sports, and that's why we got him on the sports cage. Thanks, Arash. Take care, buddy. You got it, guys. Have a great weekend. That is Arash Madani with the Madani Report for Smart Investing Solutions. Be smart with your money, and you do that by calling Brian Golly at Smart Investing Solutions, 546-2533. Okay, uh, when we come back, uh, Pete and I will wrap the show up, but not before we talk with Bob Stoffer, the uh, color commentator on the Edmonton Oilers radio network, and all of a sudden, look out for the Oilers. They're on fire since they made the coaching change. Uh, this is the Sports Cage for spreads.ca we'll be back in a moment and we're wrapping up the show in fine style with the color commentator on the Edmonton Oilers radio network that would be our friend Bob Stoffer. Bob I tell you what man uh, we touched on this before what a difference a coaching change makes at least I'm going to chalk it up to that and a bit of confidence they kind of go hand in hand you got a team that 
you know, if they had a 2 nothing lead, it would be 4-2 for the other team before you could blink an eye. But now you get a 2 nothing lead. Yeah, you might. There might be some pushback, but these Oilers, at least of late, don't seem like they're going to uh, panic. Well, it's really interesting, Michael, uh, because, you know, I've watched uh, Bakersfield play a fair amount over the last three-plus seasons, and they they had a very specific style, and there was a relentlessness to the way they played. They often dramatically outshot the opposition teams in the first period. Um, I think good coaches help their teams have a chin so they can take a punch. Like, that's part of coaching is, you know, how do you handle adversity? And Jay's teams down in Bakersfield, they, they could do that. They, they usually outshot teams in the first period. Uh, Stuart Skinner took a massive quantum step forward a year ago, but the, the year before that they had some goaltending issues. Um I mean, they also had like an 18-game winning streak at one point during the 18-19 season under Jay. And I think the question for a lot of people was, could he translate that style to Edmonton? You know, would the Oilers be a team that would, you know, dominate the shot metrics in the first period? And because so often it seemed like under Dave Tippett, who dramatically improved the Oilers' special teams, but it seemed like Edmonton worked their way in games, and the other team was usually the better team in the first, and that's not the modus operandi of how Jay's teams were in Bakersfield. Well, you know, Jay's now coached, uh, you know, 30, I guess 33, 34 games now. Uh, he's sitting with a 7-12 winning percentage, and yet again against Dallas last night, the orders with 19 shots on goal in the first period. So they're ready to go early. They're often the better team early. They've got better puck support. They work their way back to the puck better defensively. And then they're getting stops. Like Mike Smith's got a 9.48 save percentage in his last 10 starts. So, they got a lot going on right now, and he still thinks when he talks to us that they have room to grow. So for Oilers fans, there's a level of excitement that maybe hasn't been seen since the 16-17 season. We see a lot of this uh, in the NHL, in the CFL too. I know it's a smaller league, but the teams that kind of have to scramble to get into the playoffs are generally the teams that, because uh, they're in playoff mode, they're ready to go when the playoffs start. I feel like that with these Oilers. Even McDavid kind of mentioned it after the game. Last year he said, I don't want to say we took our foot off the gas, but we had a playoff spot. We still don't have a playoff spot clinched. And I think that might work in this team's favor. Yeah, I, I, I think back to the 06 playoff run and Edmonton clinched the playoff spot in game number 81. You know, and uh, Detroit was home and cool for two months and then the Oilers went and played the Red Wings and Detroit was a massive favorite in the series. But the Oilers were the team that was sort of playing playoff hockey, and I think it really – and the other thing is they got the better goaltending. So, uh, you know, fair comment. I mean, it's funny with the CFL. I just – I think back as a, a guy that grew up watching, you know, the greatest dynasty in the history of the Canadian football league, the Edmonton Eskimos, 78-82, and I remember the Grey Cup in 80 against Ottawa. and Or that was 81, 1981 against Ottawa. And Edmonton, Edmonton had bombed Hamilton the year before, 48-10 in the Grey Cup final. Ottawa under George Brancato, and I'm going to tie this into something. Ottawa was five and eleven with J.C. Watts quarterback, and they gave the Eskimos all they can handle in the '81 Grey Cup. And uh, George Brancato, his daughter married former uh, Edmonton Oilers general manager Pete Shirelli, uh, and so there was the connection to the <laughs> Ottawa. Yeah, so uh, George Brancato's. Uh, daughter ended up uh, marrying Pete Shirelli, the Oilers' former GM, and uh, Pete knew a lot about CFL football. He grew up uh, an Ottawa Rough Riders fan. I obviously am an Edmonton kid, 
And I just, but that's, I, I never wrote anybody off in the CFL because of that one year in 1981. I mean, a 5-11 team, uh, they were hardly the beast of the East. They could make it happen. I think it's going to help Edmonton that they've been playing, you know, basically playoff caliber hockey here for the last, like, they're like you know, Michael, you know what their record is. They're 15-3-2 and two in their last 20 games. Crazy, yeah. They're 9-1-1 one and one in their last 11. The other thing that's happened is there's been a total separation between the good teams and the bad teams in both conferences. And teams aren't losing, with the exception of Vegas, losing to New Jersey. Teams aren't losing to the bad teams right now. So you got a lot of teams playing really well. Yeah. So you talk about 1981. That's right around the time I really started to like the Edmonton Oilers. I was nine years old. I believe that was the year the Oilers beat the Habs, who were kind of coming down from their 70s powerhouse, and it was the young upstart Oilers with, with Gretzky and the gang. Um, but back then, I believe the playoffs were one and sixteen, two and fifteen, three and fourteen. I, I don't know if it'll ever. I don't know if it'll ever go to that. But I look at like you look how it's positioned right now. The Edmonton Oilers have had their struggles, but to me, they're sitting in a much better spot than say a Calgary Flames in the first round, and for sure the Toronto Maple Leafs. Should we look at rewarding teams for having a really good first, you know, a, a regular season with a better matchup in the first round? Well, you're right. It was Montreal three against Edmonton fourteen in uh, in eighty one. The year before, the Flyers were first, and Edmonton was sixteenth. And you know, I was I'm a little bit older than you by about six years. I just remember how shocking it was. I was the biggest Kila Fleur fan you'd ever find, and just how shocking it was to see the Oilers. And they didn't just hey, they didn't just beat Mont like they beat Montreal. Like mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky was plus eleven yeah. in three games, right? Like they kicked the living spot out of the Canadians, you know. It was, uh, you know, they pumped them for six goals in game one and six goals in game three. So it was pretty impressive. Um, you know, you make a valid point. Like, it looks like Edmonton's probably going to get Los Angeles, who've got a negative goal differential this year. Now, right now, Dallas is in a playoff spot with a negative goal differential. They're probably going to get Colorado. And Calgary's going to end up getting Nashville. Like, if, if we started today, that is a tough matchup for the yeah. Flames. Nashville's got a a good team with a good goalie, albeit he might be a little bit overworked. The Leafs, I mean, they're they're going to finish second in their division, and they're getting either Tampa Bay or they're getting Boston. That's not any. I feel you know what? As much as we get overblown with Toronto this and Toronto that and the Toronto Sports Network, I have some empathy for the Leafs. Like they've had some real difficult challenges in the opening round, like where you know they were the underdog against really good teams, like when they lost to Boston, and they, they could have won either of the two series. Uh, in back-to-back years against the Bruins. So, valid point, but I don't think you're going to see a change. I just, I can't see them going. Just doesn't make any financial sense to have teams flying all over the country. Bob, I really appreciate your time. We just had you for a short time. Enjoy the rest of the day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ballsy. Take care. You know, we're talking about the playoffs. Just to wrap up, Bob Stoffer there. We talked earlier, Pete Pasco, about your Leafs. Yeah. The Edmonton Oilers might actually like think about it Calgary right now the playoffs start today would play Nashville Nashville's a mm. good team they're Minnesota light mm-hmm. you guys would play either Boston or Tampa <sighs> we get the LA Kings who have a negative goal differential going into the playoffs I'm not saying the Oilers hey they could blow it but the Edmonton Oilers could actually get to the second they could I end up in the them, West final I can see them winning that series yeah absolutely yeah winning that one if Calgary gets beat up or loses to Nashville mm-hmm. they've already dominated Nashville all like they could end up that's how that's how stupid these playoffs are that's why i think they've got to look at them different like there's no what what did you gain by kicking butt in the regular season 
Not a whole lot. Yeah. You don't get a buy. You don't get anything. Anyway, you got any closing thoughts? It was fun today. Uh, yeah, good time. Thank you very much. And by the way, I haven't officially congratulated huh. you on the air, so congratulations. Looking forward well, to, uh, to the job. Folks, if you don't like me, this is the reason, besides my mummy don't like me, because this guy <laughs> got me hired at CKRM all the way back in the day. I started as That's an right. intern, That's and right. you were in the newsroom, and you said, hey, why don't you call that kid we had as an, uh, an intern? Yep. And then I came from Estevan, and the rest is history. The rest is indeed history. So yeah. thank you for everything, buddy. Corrected and your Pete, writing a couple of times? Yeah, and Pete, well, yeah, that's right, you uh, many times. <laughs> I'm still not a great writer. I could talk a little better. Pete Pascoe will be in the mix here, helping out as we go forward, and you can also catch Catch him on uh, Locker Talk, which is the uh, great local sports show on Access. Now, for our awesome producer, Sean Kleisinger, best in the business, I'm Ballsy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. The Sports Cage Podcast is brought to you by Saskatchewan Seniors Mechanism, working to make affordable home supports for seniors a reality. SKSeniorsMechanism.ca